here we see now that we've reached almost the end of our journey through the life of Joseph. In Genesis chapter 48 and next week in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob's last words as he blesses his sons. Starting here in the verses that Pastor Bill just read to us, Joseph and his sons. And it's easy maybe when we get to the end of a story like this and and when we get into all these blessings to kind of put our minds on cruise control maybe and forget that every word of God is profitable and inspired and has lessons for us. So what can we what can we learn here? I've got three things, actually four. So kids, for those of you who like to fill in the blanks in the worship guide, you can find them all right there in the sermon title. And that is honor, remembrance, blessing, and then finally we'll, we'll land the plane by talking about adoption. We see adoption here in this, in this story. So let's start with honor. And, and I, I hope you noted as, as you heard these words read how Joseph honors his father throughout this text. And, and think about it for a moment from the vantage point of an Egyptian, right? So here you have their ruler, right? That the second most powerful man at the time in the earth, that's Joseph. And then you've got this, this old, grizzled, graybeard nomad, okay? Um, a gypsy, basically. Somebody who, who, who's lived in tents all his life, has been a shepherd, who's wandered around from place to place. When you, when you go around the world, if you go to, say, Eastern Europe today, and you, you may meet gypsies, right? They may live in wagons instead of tents, but they, they move around and people don't have a whole lot of respect for them. And that's what we see here. And, and, and Joseph was a busy man, but he honored his father and he respected Jacob's God-given position as the patriarch of the family. So let's look at verse 1 here again. After this, Joseph was told, behold, your father is ill. And, and after this means after all the, the, the story we read last chapter, chapter 47, of how God settled Jacob and his family in Goshen. And we, we learn later when we look at the years that, that probably 17 years has gone by after this. Okay? 17 years that God gave Jacob with his son. In, in Egypt, in a sense, mirroring the first 17 years of Joseph's life before he was taken off into captivity. So after this, Joseph was told, behold, your father was, is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Remember, Manasseh is the firstborn. Ephraim is number two. And it was told to Jacob, your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. So what we have here is a picture of Joseph or of Jacob in his in his last days of life on his deathbed, right? He summons his strength to sit up and to confer what was very very important in their time and in their culture, and that would be a blessing on his sons. And we're going to see that next week in Genesis chapter forty nine. We're going to look at at Jacob's blessings to his sons, and, and for many of them they were blessings. Uh, he had a long memory, and so for some of them, there was some, some judgment for, for some of their transgressions that weren't fully repented for. But here in our chapter, we see great tenderness as he, as he blesses his son and his sons. 
sons. Now remember what I mentioned before, that Egyptians despised shepherds. And remember that Joseph's sons were half Egyptian. And they were indeed the the sons of the second most powerful man in Egypt. And so here we see that Joseph, in in bringing his sons to his father for his father's blessing, that was a a great act of faith because he expected blessings for his sons, which would have had the opposite effect for their prominence in their Egyptian culture. Being brought in to be Hebrews, right? To be brought in to become children of the covenant would have been a re- viewed by the Egyptians as a rejection of their culture and likely would have, would have been a step away from their ability to take positions of prominence. In fact, one commentator called this a by-faith exercise in downward mobility. Now, now, most of the world is trying to climb the ladder upwards and will do almost anything to get ahead, to get power and, and position And yet here we see Joseph willingly engaging in a by-faith exercise in downward mobility for his sons. And so look at verse 12. Uh, This is another aspect of Joseph honoring his father. The first was bringing his sons to his father for his blessing. But in verse 12 we see in this process, we see Joseph removed them, that would be his sons, from his knees... And he bowed himself with his face to the earth. Now this, this seems strange in our culture. Uh, there are other cultures where the elderly, where parents, aged parents are greatly honored. When uh, I had the opportunity for several years during our time in Afghanistan to teach a, a course at the university. And anytime one of my students would Uh, introduce himself or or get up to to maybe answer a question and he was called on or she was called on to to say her name it always included the father's name so what I would hear would be nome nambatala beche said abdul badafar which which means my name is namatala the son of said abdul gafar see he he understood that everything he did whether for good or for ill, was reflecting the honor of his father. And, and the same would be true when people would become very aged, okay? Um, they, they didn't have nursing homes. And I, by this, um, please understand that I'm not um, condemning nursing homes. There's, there's a time and a place where we often need help caring for um, our parents or maybe our grandparents or the age. But but in this situation, I, I, I remember eating in homes with families where you would have a, a matriarch or a patriarch who might be struggling with dementia. And yet, instead of having them squirreled away in the back, they would have them sitting in a place of honor, and everyone would pretend that everything they said had great honor, and, and there was great respect given. So something that, that, I, that I learned from about honor. Well, you know, Ephesians 6, 2 and 3 tell, tells children... It says, honor your father and mother. And this is specifically for children. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And kids, I hope that you pay attention to that. Okay, this is a promise. It's actually a promise tied with God's physical blessings on your life to your obedience 
and honoring of your parents. But you know what? This command is not only for children. When you go back to the, the commandment in the law, we see that all people need to honor their fathers and their mothers. Now, I realize we all come from different situations, and, and many of us have the blessing of wonderful parents. But you may be thinking right now, you don't know my mother or my father. You don't know the things that they've done. They don't deserve honor. Well, you know what? I, I don't believe that Jacob was a model father. Okay? I don't believe that he was a model father, and yet we see here Joseph honoring him throughout. So I hope you notice that theme of honor. But let's move into the theme of remembrance. That's number two. Remembrance. Number two. And I see three different remembrances that Jacob makes in this text as he prepares to bless his son and his grandsons. And so the most, the, the first and the most significant and, and spiritual is, is the first remembrance. And we see this in verse three and four. And we read that Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Lutz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I will make of you, of your, of you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. And so God actually revealed himself twice to Jacob in this one spot called Bethel. Lutz was like the old uh, designation and it was actually renamed Bethel. And so the, the first time God revealed himself to Jacob was after he had fled from Esau. And you remember the, the story, it's a famous story that we call the, the vision of Jacob's ladder in which Jacob went to sleep resting his head on a rock and he had this vision. And so let's turn back, let me invite you in fact, turn back with me if you will to Genesis chapter 28 verses 10 through 22 and we'll just read through that text. Genesis chapter 28 verses 10 through 22. This is not uh, on, on our slides but um, let me just encourage you if you've got a Bible in front of you just turn back with me if you will. Genesis chapter 28 verse 10. Jacob left Beersheba and went towards Haran and he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed. Behold, there was a ladder set up on earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land in which you lie I will give to you and to your offspring." Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and in you and all your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Well, where does that sound familiar? That's what he promised Abraham, right? Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head, and he set it up for a pillar, and he poured oil on top of it. He called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Lutz at first. Then Jacob made a vow, saying, if God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, 
that I come again to my father's house in peace? Then the Lord shall be my God, and this stone which I have set up for a pillar shall be God's house. All And of all that you give me, I will give a full tenth to you. So here we see revelation. Here we see worship. Here we see a, a stone of remembrance. And here we see an offering, a tithe. Jacob taking 10% and devoting, saying, whatever of all that God gives me, I will give 10% to him. By the way, this is pre-Mosaic law. So again, I, we can infer from this in other passages, such as Abraham and Melchizedek, that, that God's point of a tithe, 10% of all that he gives us being returned to him as worship, that's a prescription that God gives to all of his people throughout all of time, not just the old covenant. Well, here, there's a second revelation that happened, a second time that, that Jacob experienced God at this place called Bethel. And so turn with me, if you will, to Genesis chapter 35. So several chapters uh, in, in Jacob's life. We get to Genesis chapter 35, verse 1. God said to Jacob, arise. Go up to Bethel and dwell there. Make an altar there to the God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. Then you skip down to verse 10. And God said to him, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, and Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone. He poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it, so Jacob called the name of the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. So these were the spiritual highlights of Jacob's life that he is remembering here as he looks back on his life. God had revealed himself to Jacob at Bethel twice, and, and God had made him specific promises. And, and Jacob had worshiped God in that place and had dedicated and frankly rededicated his life to him in that, in that place. So this was, this was like the highlight that Jacob's mind went back to as he made his remembrances on his deathbed. But Jacob also remembered a low light, right? Not only the highlights, he remembered, he remembered the, the low light, a sorrow. And in verse 7 he says, as for me, we're back in chapter 48, by the way. Verse 7 he says, as for me, when I came from Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way, when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath, and I buried her there on the way to Ephrath, that is, Bethlehem. So when people get to the end of the road, and when they're in positions like Jacob is, with, with time and the lucidity to look back on their lives and remember, it's often the highlights and the lowlights. And so for, for Jacob, losing his bride... Rachel was really the, this great sorrow of his life. And I'm sure 
thinking that he had lost Joseph was another great sorrow of his life. So there was the highlights, there was the lowlights, and then there was his personal thanksgiving when he thought about his son. We see in verse 11. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face. And behold, God has let me see your offspring also. So he has this word of thanksgiving to God that he saw Joseph again. He had had these 17 years that he hadn't expected with his son, Joseph. Well, you know, what, what, do we, what do we get out of this? Well, we should listen carefully to people's last words. Lean, lean forward in your seat when they have something to share. And, and we do this, I think, reflexively. We know when we're listening to a dying woman or man and, and they're able to speak to us uh, and they're able to speak from their heart, we know, hey, this is something, this is a time you, you stop and you listen. You know, what, what do I need to hear? What do I need to learn? Because there is much to learn from the final remembrances of our elders. I remember as a, as a high school kid um, going down to Tampa to visit my grandfather who had been a, a, a pilot in World War II. He had flown on D-Day. He had actually went over as, as, a, as a young uh, arrogant lieutenant, met his, met his wife right here in Valparaiso, broke in in the middle of a dance. She was actually engaged to another guy and said, hey, baby, why don't you fall in love with me or marry me or something like that? And she said, okay. And so a month later, they got married. And, you know, things happened kind of quick back then. And, uh, and, and so um, he went off to the war as a young guy, came back as a lieutenant colonel, was one or two guys in his whole squadron to survive, okay? Squadron commander, uh, all kinds of dive bombing missions, uh, story after story. And I remember just sitting there loving his, loving just hearing his stories, um, the wisdom, the, the courage, things I learned from him. Now, to be honest with you, um, he, most of his life was not walking with the Lord, and so there were some things that I uh, learned, hey, I probably shouldn't do that uh, as I listened to his stories. But there was much that I learned from him, and, and for me, it was a joy to honor him. Uh, it was an honor for me to be able to hear stories of, of, of bravery and of service. But one writer described the last remembrances of a faithful follower of God as when an old barn sags. So you just think about an old barn, maybe a century old, maybe, maybe 150 years old, sagging under the weight, creaking, you know, the roof sagging, the beams sagging, but still there, hasn't collapsed yet. But as it sags, it sags such that, that beams of light filter inside like searchlights. And so what insights can we learn and can we see from a life that has been lived for the glory of God? Or even a life that has been redeemed like, like Jacob's because not all of his life was for the glory of God. And yet he had experiences and he had rededicated his life. What can we learn from this? And it's wise to learn from your elders. But don't just wait until you're old to remember God's works in your life. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verse 1 says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. So maybe you're in the twilight season of your life. It is good to look back and to remember your creator and his faithfulness to you. But you know, you don't have to be of age. You could be young. In fact, we're told by the preacher of Ecclesiastes that we should remember our creator in the days of our youth. And so this Thanksgiving season, as, as we prepare our hearts to do something that is beautiful, and that is to really give God thanks, 
Let me encourage you to look back on your life and remember God's involvement and his work in your life. When when has God revealed himself to you? Let's go back in your mind's eye, maybe now or maybe later, and remember that, that moment of first light, that moment of salvation, when you first fully understood the gospel, and you first fully, and maybe you'd heard it, maybe it was the first time you heard it, maybe it was the, the 257th time you heard it, when the Holy Spirit opened your eyes, and so what was simply cognitive knowledge went to true heart living faith that elicited repentance and simple full-on dependence on your Savior Jesus Christ, right? What was that like when he first revealed himself to you? Maybe there was a time later in your Christian life in which God just made his presence felt so real to you that you knew he was there with his arms around you. Maybe it was during a time of comfort, during a crisis. Maybe it was during a time of deliverance in which you were in trouble and you knew you were in trouble and you needed him to be your deliverer and he rescued you. Maybe a time in which you just looked around and you were able to say, the lions have fallen in pleasant places. He has blessed me and and you were able to worship him and you felt his smile. This season... Let's make sure that we make plenty of remembrances of our creator and our our savior. So we've talked about honor. We've talked about remembrance. And we're going to spend the rest of our time together, most of the rest of our time, talking about blessing. Blessing. So let's look down to verse 8. 8 through 22. Well, when Israel saw Joseph's sons... He said, who are these? Does that seem a little strange to you? There's a couple, couple when, when, I, when I read that, I had to read it a couple times and, and think, what's going on here? Um, you know, does he not really recognize the presence of his grandsons? He's already been talking about them, right? He's already talked about Ephraim and Manasseh. And he said that they are mine. Well, it's possible that this was a function of decline in mind. Um, sometimes people you know, towards the, the twilight or on their deathbed get a little bit confused and, and have a very lucid, powerful memory and then forget and then have to come back to it. But you know, when you read through chapter 48 and 49, it, it sure seems that Jacob has a sharp mind on his deathbed, okay, with a very long memory. Read chap- chapter 49 and you'll see that. He, he remembers things very well from way back when, okay. So many Old Testament scholars think that this question, whose are these, or who are these, was really kind of a ceremonial question, such as, who gives this man to be married to this woman? Okay, a question where, you know, the, 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 the officiant, the, the preacher knows exactly who's giving the woman, but, but says, you know, who is, who, who's the one who gives this woman to be married to this man? It's a ceremonial question with a ceremonial response that precipitates a solemn vow. And so that's what I think we see here. Okay, Jacob says, whose are these? And then Joseph said to his father, they are my sons whom God has given me here. And he said, bring them to me please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim with age, so that he could not see. So Joseph brought them near him, and he kissed them, and he embraced them. And then in verse 13, we, we see something very interesting here. 
we, we see a, a choosing or a preferring of the younger over the older. We see a crossing of the hands. And so, and, and Joseph took them both very carefully, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand, which symbolized power and, and privilege and action. That's what the right hand symbolized. So Israel stretched that right hand out and laid it on the hand of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the hand of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. Now there, there's some irony in this scene. Remember that when he was young, Jacob had taken advantage of his father's poor eyesight to steal his older brother Esau's blessing. But now, as an old man, at the very end of his life, with poor eyesight, he's the one who, instead of stealing a blessing, he gives the blessing. But he gives the more powerful blessing to the younger sibling. So what's going on here? Well, verse 15, and what we'll continue here through the blessing And he blessed Joseph, and he said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Now, that that word may seem a little strange to you. Um, uh, In some translations, like the King James and New King James Version, the, the word angel there in English is capitalized. And I think probably rightly so. Calvin was convinced that this was a Christophany, a reference to the pre-incarnate Jesus as the angel of the Lord here. The angel who redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys, and in them let my name be carried on, and the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. So he looks back. And he says, this is the God of Abraham and Isaac, who's also been my shepherd. May he bless your boys, Joseph, and may he carry this legacy of faith, this covenant of of faith forward. And Joseph's response here to Jacob's blessing is is that even though he he shows respect, he he can't just stand for this, right? Because despite his honor for his father, this wasn't something that could really pass, right? He's thinking, you got this one wrong, dad. He's been grooming Manasseh, his firstborn, all of his life to continue his name. And and Jacob just undid that with one fell swoop, right? You got to remember back in this time, blessings couldn't really be undone. When a blessing happened, that was it. It was like etched in stone. That was kind of the culture, right? And so look in verse verse 17, when, when Joseph saw that his father had laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, not this way, my father. Still with respect, since this one is the firstborn, put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He also shall become a people, and he also shall be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he. And his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, God make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Thus he put Ephraim before Manasseh. So what was going on here? Why did 
Why did Jacob, aged Jacob, choose the younger over the older? This wasn't just random or partial due to Jacob's own personal experiences. This was an act of faith, and God blessed it. Well, why can I say that? How do I know that? Well, first of all, uh, when we look at biblical history and genealogies, we see that Joshua, remember the great deliverer, who was a great portrait of courage and, and, a, and, and really a, a, a picture of Christ, Yeshua? Joshua was actually of the tribe of Ephraim. Now, Jesus, we know, came from the tribe of Judah. The final, the final Messiah actually was through Judah's line, and we're going to look into that a little bit more next week. But, but we see that, that he did send a great deliverer, a great prophet, Joshua, from Ephraim's seed. But even more, the reason I really know this, that this wasn't just random, you know, kind of uh, uh, an old guy being kind of crazy here, uh, is that the author of Hebrews tells us in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 21, by faith, when dying, Jacob blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing worship over the head of his staff. So this was, this whole act of blessing, conferring God's blessing in a prophetic manner on these boys was an act of faith led by God's Spirit. And what I would say here we can learn from this is simple. God often chooses the underdog. And, and I want you to consider this, this principle here of, of, of the underdog, right? Even in the book of Genesis, before this uh, story here. Remember, God chose the younger son, Abel, over the older, Cain. Remember that God chose younger Isaac over powerful Ishmael. And God had chosen, uh, despite his, his, his uh, uh, rascal, rascaliness, younger Jacob over the great hunter, uh, favored son Esau. And, and God had even chosen Joseph over his older brothers. So we often see this theme of God choosing the underdog here, even in the book of Genesis. Pastor Kent Hughes comments, God's grace must never become captive to position or privilege or heredity or expectation or tradition or convention or disposition. God's grace is sovereign. It cannot be tamed. The economy of grace operates on its own principles, humbling human wisdom and exalting the unlikely so that the last are often the first and the first last. When we think about the doctrine called election, the, God's, the, the, the doctrine of God's sovereign choice of his people, it's all about his grace alone. It has nothing to do with human merit. Who is the most deserving, uh, whether it's positionally or, or the things that they have, have done in their lives? It's all about God's grace alone. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this, verse 26, he says, For consider your calling, brothers. He's talking about calling to be Christians, their, their election, their, their calling to faith in, in Christ for salvation. He says, For considering your calling, brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in this world to shame the wise. 
God chose what is weak in this world to to, to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. So this is good news for you if, if you're an underdog. You know, if you were the kid that got chosen last in the roster to play dodgeball, okay? Uh, you know, if you were last, this is good news for you, okay? And you know what? If you were the first kid who got chosen, you know, on the dodgeball team, okay, um, this isn't bad news for you as long as you know that you're an underdog because all of us, none of us bring any righteousness to Christ. Does that make sense? This is for the people who know that they are spiritual underdogs. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Those who know that they are sinners and who are are willing to turn from that, not people who, who want their cake and want to eat it too. That's not what he's talking about. That's not real faith, by the way but people who know they're sinners and, and, and are, are just humble before an almighty God and say, I have nothing but Christ. Save me, help me. God delights in saving them. So if you know you're the underdog, I hope you have a smile on your heart today. Well, Jacob ended here with an important blessing, not only for Joseph's sons, but also for his son Joseph himself. If you look at verse 21 and 22, the very last two verses here of this passage, we read, Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you, rather than to your brothers, one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and my bow. What's going on here? With this blessing, Jacob is reminding Joseph that he belongs not to the world of Egypt, but to the kingdom of God. And he gives his son, Joseph, his one small land possession in the promised land, which was the burial plot of Shechem. And so Joseph would indeed one day visit the promised land to bury his father, but there's no record he ever himself actually migrated over there to the promised land. But centuries later, his descendant Joshua would carry his bones and would bury them in Shechem on that plot, in that place with his fathers. So here we see blessing. We see Joseph, uh, Jacob with his, in his last moments of his life, last moments of lucidity, um, blessing uh, Joseph and Joseph's first two, two sons. But let me encourage you parents this morning, before we move on to our, uh, our, our conclusion here, let me encourage you parents to pray blessings over your children. Okay? It, it, it may not be the same, have the same weight of, of prophetic, this will happen, as, as what the Spirit gave Jacob, but let me encourage you parents to pray blessings over your children. You, you don't know how the Lord will use that in their lives. Um, pray, pray, pray blessings. A great time to do it is when they're falling asleep, right? Praying over them. Praying, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his countenance shine upon you. May the Lord protect you. You can pray as the Spirit leads you, but may he give you peace 
and protect your soul in this crazy world? And you know, when you're praying a blessing to your children, you're also crying out to the Lord and saying, make them your own. Some of you may think, well, you know what? It's kind of too late for me. My kids are are big now. Um, You know, it might be a little awkward, right? Praying a blessing over my teenage daughter in her bedroom. Um, Or they're off in college. Or they're now in their 20s. You know what? You can pray blessings even over your big kids. You can even do it from a distance. So let me encourage you to, 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 to pray blessings over your children. But as we land the plane here, as we, as we think about this whole, pa- this whole chapter, what, where, where do I want your mind to set? What, what do we think, I think you should, what, what I hope you'll think about as you go through this week? And, and that is adoption, the theme of adoption. You might be, well, where is that in this, in this whole chapter of blessing? Well, actually, it's right in the beginning. We see adoption by grace alone in verse 5 and 6. So look, tur- look back with me. Maybe you've got to turn a page back. But look back with me, if you will, to verse 5 and 6 of Genesis chapter 48. And this is right in the middle of Jacob's remembrances. But he says in verse 5, And now your two sons, who were born to you in the land of Egypt, before I came to you in Egypt, are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. And the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called by the name of their brothers and their inheritance. Now remember that Ephraim and Manasseh and Joseph's other unnamed children were Joseph's sons by an Egyptian woman. And remember how Ishmael, who was Abraham's son by a pagan woman, had been sent away. He did not belong to the covenant. But here we see Jacob formally bringing them in and adopting them into the covenant of grace as they will now help carry on Israel's name as two distinct tribes of Israel. So the tribe of Ephraim and Manasseh became two tribes of Israel that really supplanted the the wicked tribes of Reuben and Simeon. And we could look at that another time, but, but he brings them in and makes them part of this covenant community. And it's not that he leaves the younger children out. He actually says the other children will be named after their siblings. In other words, they too will have the blessings of their older siblings. They too will be grafted into this new tribe. We might say, well, how does this apply to us? Well, Galatians chapter 3 verse 29 says, and if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. You see, the same thing that, that Jacob did here with Ephraim and Manasseh, who uh, uh, might have been considered half-breeds, belonging to Joseph but to a pagan Egyptian woman, they are now brought in, adopted into this covenant community. That is what happens to all of us who, through faith, become Christ. We become brought into this same community. According to Galatians 3, we are actually descendants of Abraham spiritually, Heirs according to promise. Pastor Vodi Bauckham writes, We, like Ephraim and Manasseh, have been adopted into the covenant family. As a result, and he quotes here from the, the second London Baptist Confession, we are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. 
Paul wrote the Romans church in Romans chapter 8 verse 15. He wrote, for you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may to be glorified with him. Well, there's, there's a sermon in itself that we've actually gone through a couple years ago, right? But you might say, how is all that possible? How is all that, that true that I could actually be the very child of God, an heir of, of a fellow heir with Christ, meaning receiving an inheritance like Christ has of, of, of glory and, and, and a future of, of actual glory with Jesus. If, if God knows, and if all those folks up there see what I've done, how in the world is that possible? Well, well the good news of the gospel that we're going to be thinking about this Christmas season. And in a couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to conclude our study of, 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 of Joseph, right, as we finish up Genesis 50. And we're going to start in John 1. Our plan is to, to do that in, in December and, and spend this next year or so going through the book of John. Uh, but as we think about Advent, we're going to be just working through the first half of John chapter 1. And, and the, the beauty of this, the, the, the way that, that we are adopted into his family is through faith. John 1, 11 through 13 says, he came to his own. That means Jesus came to the Jews and his own people did not receive him. They rejected him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, that would be the Jews who did receive him, the pagans like us, the Gentiles, who did receive him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are an adopting God. I thank you that before the foundation of the world, not because of any goodness or beauty or achievement or cuddliness of our own, you chose us. But according to your word, while we were still sinners, in a place of enmity with you, Christ died for us. We thank you for your adopting grace. Father, you know every heart in this room you know those who are yours. They may be struggling. They may be doubting at times. They may be questioning. But you know those whom you have sealed with the blood of Christ. Lord, you know those in this room who may think they are yours but do not belong to you. Those who have a false faith. Something in their mind or head but something that has not penetrated their heart. Lord, I pray that today you would draw them into your family and adopt them, make them your own. Lord, I pray that today they would come to the end of serving self, that they would repent from their wickedness and would put their trust in Christ alone. 
We thank you that we have a great Savior. And I pray in his name. Amen.